Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Okay, after a, a nightmare of technological confusion, I have... Uh, the creative team behind the creative team and the uh, the literary agent team uh, and the publisher behind uh, Marley's Ghost, an extraordinary project published by Comicsology Originals to essentially is forensic cartooning. How's how's that to, re- I like that. to recreate uh, a, an amazing project by legendary comics editor Harvey Kurtzman? Look, thank thank. I'm gonna give me a list, everybody. Thank you, Gideon Kendall, Josh O'Neill, Dennis Kitchen, and Shannon Wheeler for being on More to Come. And, Thanks, Shannon. And the cat. <laughs> and the cat. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this has been a comedy of errors. So now we're going to see if we can segue into it just being a comedy. Um, <laughs> uh, look, I've got... Uh, look, I've got to. This is an amazing project. I'm going to jump right to Dennis because I know that uh, you've got to go and pick up your daughter at some point. But Dennis, I, mean, um, I, I don't know. Tell us a little bit about um, Harvey Kurtzman for the benefit of listeners who may not be familiar, and then we'll talk more about this project. Sure. Harvey was one of the true geniuses in uh, the history of comics, best known for creating Mad, but before that, he worked for Stan Lee. He did Hey Look as a as a regular filler, and that became a classic of humor itself. He moved over to EC Comics, and he did those wonderful war comics, Frontline Combat, Two-Fisted yes. Tales, that really uh, changed war comics from being totally jingoistic to realistic. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and uh, Mad started as a comic book, then a magazine, and he moved on, and he subsequently did Humbug and Trump and finally Little Annie Fanny over the course of a long career. And now the Harvey Awards given out annually are named after him. So, well, so this is great. Now, you are, you're the uh, executive of the uh, Kurtzman uh, estate? Or Not just technically, the literary no. Exec- I'm the, uh, the literary and art agent for the I estate. See. So, so tell us a little bit about what we're talking about here. This is an, a basically this is a a graphic novel planned far beyond anyone thinking in those kinds of terms. In yeah, terms of the book it was format. in the uh, what we, what we call the Paleolithic days of <laughs> <Yes>. comics. Uh, <laughs> way back in 1954, a couple of years into Mad, when you'd think he would already be crazy busy. He had this notion that he wanted to adapt Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol into what we would today call a graphic novel. Back then, I'm not sure what he called it. There's no record of if he gave it any appellation. But he uh, was a big admirer of Dickens. Uh, It was a favorite story of his. And so he began this very ambitious uh, uh, rendering of the story. And he was able to finish uh, eight large, uh, tight roughs, and uh, he penciled another 70 or so thumbnails. And then he got Jack Davis, another legendary cartoonist, mm-hmm. to do the finishes on one of them. And he took that portfolio under his arm. He had an appointment at Simon & Schuster, where he 
I guess, naively thought they would jump on it. But uh, they were mystified. <laughs> to them, it was just a, a, a So SNS you know. had a chance to really be a groundbreaking visionary publisher, and they declined. <laughs> they blew it. They totally blew it. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and if the correspondence didn't survive, we wouldn't know. You know, these originals, uh, we wouldn't know when they were dated. But fortunately, Harvey was a bit of a pack rat. We have those exchanges. And we know that as, as, as late as 1962, he was still pitching it uh, to no avail. And uh, now, did he, he talk to you about this project? Um, not at any great length at all. No. Um, when I helped him, um, in, in many ways, when I got this art, I wish I'd asked more questions, but, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, in 1959, he did the jungle book, which some would argue is the first graphic novel. It predated Eisner's contract with God by 20 years, but mm-hmm. it was a big flop. And so he was certainly an innovator and this would have been Another five years earlier than Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. Wow. So where does uh, I mean where does the idea to try to, as I said, you know, use you know, this forensic project to try and use the uh, you know what he has left behind to actually recreate um, uh, the graphic novel that he envisioned? Um, when did this project take take uh, take form? Yeah, I think uh, it was a little over a year ago, um, my partner John Lind and I, representing the Kurtzman estate, were approached by uh, Chip Mosier at Comixology, mm-hmm. said uh, they were starting a line of original graphic novels, and he had been uh, a big fan of Kurtzman, and uh, I put out a book for uh, Charlie Kochman at Abrams called The Art of Harvey Kurtzman a few mm-hmm. years back, and Chip saw the... Uh, finished art and some of the pencils in that book and he had asked me even several years ago if we might be able to finish it someday and it it didn't seem at all realistic but then um, now that he's a comiXology and he was able to get a budget for this line he asked if we could put together um, a team and finally finish it and so um, that was the genesis of it uh, and um, it's it's actually, if I'm not mistaken, it's going to be, isn't it being released today uh, in digital formats? On the 9th, I, I On believe. the 9th? Uh, but you, you have, they have done it, or you guys have done it. There's it's a 129-page full-color graphic novel um, uh, put together by the, the team I mentioned uh, before, uh, you know, Shannon Wheeler, uh, Gideon Kendall, and Josh O'Neill. Um how did how did you bring these? We're going to get to you guys. Uh, 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 who put the team together? The creative team together. Actually, I just double checked. It comes out tomorrow, not the ninth day. It comes out the oh, eighth. Okay. okay, great. And 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 there's a special price on it too, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. it's two ninety nine. Three ninety nine. Two ninety nine. Two ninety nine. Okay, it sounds like Great. a deal of a deal. unlimited subscription. Yeah. Ah. So, but look, uh, uh, how did you get? Uh, who picked the creative team and how did you well, bring them all together? And then we're going to get yeah, to them. Um, yeah, I want to know. <laughs> I, I, I had actually, uh, I've been talking with uh, Josh O'Neill about uh, a, a handful of other projects. 
And uh, so I told him that we were contemplating this, and I knew Josh wears many hats, including uh, I know he, he's a writer and he's a creative guy. So I said, Josh, any chance you might be interested in this? And uh, foolishly, he said, why, yes. <laughs> and then uh, he... Uh, he suggested uh, Gideon, which was brilliant, and then we brought in Shannon because he's another multiple skill guy, and uh, it, it it really was a a great marriage. I'm 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 thrilled with the final results. Uh, I'm looking at it right now, and it's an absolutely beautiful, uh, beautifully done book. So let's jump to the creative team. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna jump in no particular order with, to Josh, and you were the hardest to get on this. The Skype call. Uh, <laughs> I've kind of been talking with everybody else for about a half an hour. So, so Josh, I've got a minute for everybody's while. We're waiting all day. Yeah, yes, we have some uh, problems with Skype here. But, 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 Josh. Um, now, for for those who may not know, I mean, Josh is is a a former retailer um, uh, at Locust Moon uh, in Philly. Also ran Locust Moon Press and currently uh, runs Beehive. Um, Beehive Books, and if I may add, he is a PW Star Watch honoree. So, but Josh, so Josh, tell us what your role in um, uh, creating the Marley's Ghost is. Well, I mean, like Dennis said, by far my largest contribution to this project was just introducing Dennis to Gideon and saying this guy <laughs> is the perfect artist to do this project. I, I, I do think that, that Gideon's cartooning style is. I mean, I think it was important for this project not to be uh, like an attempt to just imitate Kurtzman and draw it exactly like Kurtzman would have, because then you end up with just some sort of like watered down diet version of a genius. Um, but Gideon's cartooning is so like animated. That okay, by whoever's that moving of... papers around, please stop. Go on. <laughs> That was me. Okay. I'll, I'll own up. I'm sorry. <laughs> no I'm so glad Stop it wasn't me this time. <laughs> <laughs> I got to work. Uh, <laughs> go on, Josh. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, so the, the first step was sort of to find the right artist for this thing. And, uh, um, my phone ringing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, once once uh, we, we landed on, on Gideon, who uh, was definitely the first guy I thought of, um, it sort of became clear like what form uh, the project could take. And so uh, it started off sort of with Gideon and I working uh, very closely together because it's a weird process. You have these, you have Kurtzman's roughs of which he did about 60 pages. Um, and then the book is twice that length. So you have sort of half a book's worth of very rough layouts and, and uh, rough drawings. And so it was sort of our job to figure out how, uh, those roughs match up with the existing text of A Christmas Carol and then figure out how to continue the sort of tone and voice of Kurtzman's storytelling style going forward into the second half of the book when we're sort of flying solo and there are no roughs. So, so it was a weird, it was a combination of uh, sort of stitching together and uh, writing and editing and thumbnails and getting an eye we sort of we worked pretty closely trying to figure out what made the most sense, and there was a lot of back and forth of like various versions of these pages. Um, how much to stay exactly close to what what Kurtzman was intending, where it made sense to sort of like veer off in slightly other directions. Um, so, 
a big part of my role was just kind of uh, facilitating uh, that conversation between these these different versions of, of this story. Okay. All right. Get in. Hold on, because I'm getting to you ne- next. But first, I want to jump to Shannon. <laughs> Shannon, what do you do? <laughs> what was um, your role? He you know, supplied I, the coffee. Okay. <laughs> the coffee. Yes. For those who don't know, Shannon Wheeler, too much coffee man. Hilarious comic strip. <laughs> if you don't know about it, pick it up. But tell us, yes, besides getting coffee. <laughs> you know, when I came in, uh, I read it and thought, okay, there's editing. I guess I, in, in a large part, cutting down the duplication of words and images. And I think the Kurtzman stuff early on, I think he approached it thinking let's have the, all the text and be inclusive on it. It was so early as a graphic novel. Uh, and then it just duplicated a lot of the imagery. And so very much I felt that the story was working visually, being told as it was, and cutting down cutting down the language um, and working for clarity is what I, is what I shot for. Kurtzman was really porting in uh, Dickens' text, I mean Dickens' prose. In large measure. I mean, he wasn't really cutting down on it too much. Not at all. Right. Uh, yeah. One, the letter he wrote to uh, Simon & Schuster, I have a, an excerpt of it here. He said he was envisioning, quote, a large coffee table book with as much of Dickens' dialogue and text as possible, unquote. But Which makes sense for the time practical. where, it, it, like, at, at that time, you – it would be the way that people came across Christmas Carol and would read it, and it would be a, a definitive piece. But now it's such a reproduced piece of fiction that I, I, I thought that, and we all know the story so well, um, a reduction on the language really brought forward the storytelling better. All right. Yeah, okay. I wonder if Kurtzman was sort of trying to figure out some, like, hybrid between like a comic and and novel that may have been so sort of experimental thing that may not have totally worked and i mean even in the making of the, of the actual project he may have ended up refining some of that yeah. out yeah, yeah I, mean, I think it worked but we've, we've moved territory. since then all right yeah. look, all right look let's, let's get gideon into this <laughs> we're talking around him and plus i can see gideon and i can't see you guys <laughs> so, so um Okay, getting well. So you've got the weight of all this, uh, of all this text, and all of these editors, and you know the literary agent—they're all hovering over you, and you've got to bring <laughs> this thing to life, man. And if I may, so you've done it remar- to a remarkable degree with this, with this feeling of this spiritual feeling, uh, both for uh, that refers both to Jack Davis. And at various parts in the book, also to Harvey Kurtzman's style. So, uh, uh, please tell us how you handled this project. Uh, well, uh, once I got over just the intimidation of the whole thing, <laughs> uh, you know, I was, I was of course super psyched to do it, but I was also kind of scared. Um, and uh, it's also really my first graphic novel, so there was definitely like a lot of nerves to deal with, um, but. I think that, um, you know, my my style is very much informed by a lot of the mad artists, particularly uh, Davis and probably even more so Mort Drucker. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, I knew that there was no way I could uh, emulate 
Kurtzman. Like my style is just nothing like that. Like his economy of form and his fluidity are, you know, (laughs) I'm way too into detail and I'm way too, uh, tight to, uh, to, you know, to achieve that kind of, uh, fluidity. So I, um, Wait, let me let me chime in. I gotta say that the the storytelling, you nailed it. Yeah, it was it's amazing. I mean, like it, it's what Kurtzman was able to do in terms of visual storytelling. You picked up that torch and ran with it. Well, you had we had those fifty pages that he laid out to varying degrees. I mean, there's the eleven or so pages that he did in watercolor that are gorgeous and and mm-hmm. could theoretically. If he had done the whole thing that way, that would have been amazing. But he only did, what, 10 or 11 pages like that. Then there's another 30 yeah. pages that are uh, loose, to, to put it. Uh, some of them are, you know, practically non-existent. Some of them are rectangles with single words written in them. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it was clearly, he was, uh, you, know, you can sort of see him trailing off towards the end there. Maybe he was discouraged uh you know at not getting a publisher or maybe he felt like he'd already drawn the juiciest bits you know the the ghost scene and and now he realized oh my god like i have to draw hundreds of pictures of people in victorian outfits you know (laughs) which which i have class drawing that stuff but um yeah i i think that the the kurtzman's rust gave me a great launching pad you know and um it set the tone for the whole thing and, and the 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 balance between spookiness and humor and social commentary which is really i think the one of the greatest things about uh the story itself is you know it is a ghost story but it is a morality tale mm-hmm. um, and if you read the original dickens text it's very funny too. Um, uh, I mean, he's just such a good writer. The words are so juicy, and that's one of the things that made it hard to get rid of so many of the words. Mm-hmm. Even though Shannon was right, like the the art of comic storytelling has evolved tremendously since sure. Kurt started this thing. Yeah. Like, well, so, let me let me ask you this. Um, uh, one of the things I did note, though, where you did have, I mean, when, from looking at at for instance the um the, the thumbnails and some of the finished pages uh, of the original finished pages i mean they they where uh, uh where scrooge is entering into his house um you know the some of the big full page spreads and the two page uh certainly um uh or at least one of the full page spreads you really used it as a model cuz you can kind of see it in your in in the finished works uh, i i tried i mean i felt like it was important especially with the pages that he had painted himself to to stay really true to what he'd done. I mean, we all know that Kurtzman liked his artists to follow his lead. Uh, huh. And it, it, it was easy to do because his compositions are great. And he managed in his uh, the pages that he did to get across that combination of spookiness and humor which is, uh, you know, which, like I said, I, I feel like that's the, that's the core of the story is, you know, it's both a very human story, um, but there's also a lot of slapstick 
and there's also some horror. You know, it's gentle horror, hmm. but um, it is, uh, you know, I think that because he called it Marley's Ghost as opposed to uh, A Christmas Carol, which is, you know, one of the things that the whole team kind of debated as we went along is like, hmm, why did he call it Marley's Ghost and not A Christmas Carol? And I think uh, one of the, um, one of my suspicions is that what he really wanted to do was tell a ghost story. Yeah. You know, with, with all the humor and with the pathos and, and with the moral lessons, but he really wanted to tell a ghost story. That's the part of the story that he chose to draw out uh, to near completion was yeah. the most ghosty part of the story. So what about the color palette? Who chose this and how did you handle the color? Did you design the whole uh, color range? Because it's incredibly richly, uh, the, the color is really kind of fabulous. Uh, thanks. I, I followed Kurtzman's lead on color on the pages that he mm -hmm. painted, uh, of which, I, like I said, there's like 10 or 11. And then other than that, I just did my own thing. I mean, I, I was trying to, uh, I wanted it to really feel like a period piece. Like I wanted to, wherever possible, invoke uh, like an antique look to things and have things drawn uh, in sort of a synthesis of like cartooning and a more traditional rendering, even engraving kind of way. Uh, so, you know, I was looking at a lot of... Um, and and you, you worked all digital, right? Is this... Uh, it, yes. This, yes, it was all digital. Hmm. Though it doesn't look that way. <laughs> it looks painted. It looks hand-painted. Yes, it does. That's exactly what it looks like. Uh, yeah, I try really hard in, in my own comics and uh, whatever I do, even though I do work mostly digital now, uh, it's really important for me to have things not look digital because I think, you know, traditional media looks warm and inviting and fun and digital color looks awful and soulless. And <laughs> that was the word I wanted to use was soul. Is that there's, yeah. there's yeah. soul in your drawing? You know, so true. even though, I mean, I, sometimes I do feel like I'm losing my soul by working digitally. <laughs> uh, so I try to like fake it. I try to fake some, uh, some life in there. Um, yeah. So I have like, you know, I've, I've built up a, a collection of brushes and textures and things to try to bring some of that back in. So this uh, this is a question for uh, e either um, Josh or Shannon. I mean, how did you guys work together? I mean, I assume you're all spread out just like as we are now all over the country. I mean, uh, were you ever in the same spot at the same time, or is that no longer an issue anymore? It's so, you know, the uh, the mighty Marvel bullpen is gone forever. <laughs> well, there was definitely a lot of back and forth just over over email and various different platforms, but we were sort of constantly in communication with each other. Um, Gideon, I mean, I'm in Philadelphia, Gideon's in New York, so occasionally we could meet up. There were a couple of times I went up to Gideon's studio and we kind of worked pretty closely together for a couple of days. Yeah, but that was it, fun. Yeah. There were, there were endless drafts shooting back and forth to various people across the country. And um, yeah, it was a very, I mean, it's, you know, digital comic for comicsology. It was a very 21st century project. Yeah. Shannon, where, where are you? I'm in uh, Portland, Oregon. But let me, I mean, Dennis, uh, when we would go through the script, uh, Dennis had a, 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 I don't want to say heavy hand because that is a negative connotation, but <laughs> he had a strong hand in, in the editing. And uh, I was just amazed at how much in sync we were and everything that he was saying in terms of edits 
maybe I was a little bit harder where I was wanting to cut more or let the let the art step forward more. Um, and Dennis would fight for some of the language to stay, which which was a nice, you know, it's good to have that push and pull on it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, all all phone calls and and emails. Um, well, th- it's a remarkable um, project, without a doubt. I mean, not only for you know the historical you know legacy that it represents, but just the fact that it's a kick-ass comic uh, that you you know that you can hold up and read today, and um, uh, and there's just obviously something satisfying to see this um, this long envisioned project by Harvey Kurtzman come to life uh, on the page. Um, well, two things. One is that it, yeah, it, it feels really timeless. The art's timeless. The storytelling is timeless. But then a lot of the things where you feel like, oh, this this is very Twilight Zone-ish. I kept thinking that as I was going through it, like, oh, this is almost a cliche. Like it butts up against a cliche. And then I thought, oh, this was the template for that cliche. I think Twilight Zone took, sure, you know, used this as as their oh, yeah, as good their point. base. Yes, yeah, these shadowy figures entering into the uh, to reality. Yeah. Well, it's such a huge cultural touch. There's so many versions of this story. I mean, I watched all the movies, basically looking for reference material like costuming. Uh, in, you know, environment, scenery, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I watched the movies over and over again, and uh, you know, it's 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 everywhere. And some of the movies are bad, some of them are good. Mm-hmm. Um, Which one did you like best, Gideon? Oh, um, well, uh, I'm, I'm going to blank on the actors' names because I, I have this yeah. disability where I can't remember actors. Why well, can't you? I mean, there's one but, movie version I, that sticks I, in my Basil, mind. Basil Rathbone. So there's the there's the black and white version from the fifties, uh, which is I think the one that, in terms of tone and like visual quality, is like the definition of the story. It's black and white. Everything is in deep shadow, and I can't remember the actress' name. Alistair Sim. Alistair Sim. Yeah, that's it. So that's the one everyone thinks of. Yeah. Uh, and it it is it is so it does really get the tone just right. The thing is, though, it's so freaking dark that you can't use it for reference. You can't see. <laughs> I kept looking at that movie. It's so inconsiderate of the, the director, costumes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kept looking at it trying to draw the costumes, and it was driving me insane because of the shadow. So for me, the Albert Finney version, um, for several reasons, is the best one because, one, Albert Finney is awesome. <laughs> Two, um, it's better. The, the lighting is brighter, so you can see stuff. Um, and also because that's one where they they really took a lot of liberties with the story. Mm. And I think that early on, this is touching on what Shannon said. Like early on, I think Josh and I were both like just so enamored of Kurtzman stuff and enamored with Dickens that it was really hard to mess with them. You know, yeah, and and a combination of like what you know, Shannon and and uh, Dennis be willing to say, cut that, cut that, cut that, and Josh and I would be like, oh, but that's what Dickens said, <laughs> <Yes. you know? laughs> and, uh, and then realizing that it was okay. In fact, it made it a better comic to do that. And one of the things that helped me come around to that was watching the Albert Finney version and realizing that they messed with the story so much. 
and and like coming to the realization that as great as Dickens is and as universal of a story as it is, it's not a perfect story. Like he wrote it for money and he wrote it, he was getting paid by the word. And there's a lot of weird tangents. There's characters that show up and then disappear and there's threads that are left unresolved. Hmm. And it's like, it's okay to try to make a better story. Every movie version tried to make a better story, whether they succeeded or not. And so that kind of helped for me mentally let go of that stuff. Great. Does that make sense? It does indeed. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. So look, any other comments uh, about the project? Anybody want I to mean, jump the, in? We didn't. We didn't massacre Dickens. <laughs> we did have respect. There were times when the language was so beautiful, where he's describing mm-hmm. the fog, or the darkness, or the emergence of a ghost. Where we, we kept like uh, certain turns of phrase really did add to the visual, and uh, yeah. yeah. So we were a little bit reverent, but, but not. <laughs> I, uh, <yeah. laughs> Well, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, certainly we, we the did. feel we, for Dickens's prose is is there in the book. I mean, that you know, without a doubt. I love yeah, it. it's just not even like a super text light comic <laughs> point. It's just like the the impulse was to include so much stuff that it would be overburdened. But I, there's still there's still a fair amount of really strong and beautiful Dickens prose in there. Um, I think it's still really powered by language in a lot of ways. I just felt like when he's describing somebody walking up the stairs and you're seeing the same thing of somebody walking up the stairs, yes. <laughs> letting letting the imagery of the, the light and the banister and the, the detailing and the, and the mm-hmm. wallpaper, all that stuff in the artwork come forward and, and dropping back some of the descriptions, um, that's where I thought it w- became redundant and unnecessary. Yeah, I think all that stuff ended up making it uh, the, the balance ended up being, you know, just right with all that. I mean, for me, this this is my first graphic novel. I come from a more of an illustration background, and so uh, a lot of that stuff is not second nature to me. Um, you know, the storytelling and the rendering, like that's, you know, that's one thing. But the 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 art of telling a story and finding that right balance between words and text, that was, uh, you know, I learned a lot in that regard. Well, well, the uh, the edition also includes, um, you know, uh, a little short essay by Dennis at the rear uh, that gives some history on the project. Um, there's also, some, I think, uh, some samples of uh, of uh, Harvey Kurtzman's uh, roughs and the finished pages. So it really, um, it you know, it serves two functions. It really uh, lets you experience this this wonderful book, but then it also uh, allows you to kind of to get a little more information about what you know where this project came from so uh congratulations to all of you this is really a kind of remarkable project and uh hopefully somewhere uh harvey christman is um, smiling down on you God, it was a real privilege to be able to work mm-hmm. on it i'll say that yeah, yeah it was an honor to work with this material and it was so much fun so yeah uh, i i have to yeah. add one when, when i did sure. the final read on this i i, I had I had a thought that Harvey really would have been happy with it. And he was a tough editor, but that's how great I think the interpretation was. Well, well, look, this is really great. Um, um, my, now, uh, my only question is this. Uh, obviously, this is published by Comixology Original. Um, it's going to be available in uh, digital format, obviously, on, on Comixology at, a, um, at an awesome price. Uh, but 
Any chance we're gonna we can see a print version of it? Yes, we 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 can't go into detail um, about it, but yes, there will at some point be a print edition. Oh, that's awesome! So uh, the best of all possible worlds. We can get it right now, and then we maybe get be able to get it a little bit later and put it on the shelf. Um, yeah, and at this at this price, you'd be foolish to wait. Really, yes. for two ninety nine, folks, grab it and. Twenty uh, page graphic now, pretty crazy. Yes, no, it, it really is. Um, so look, uh, look, we're going to wrap this up here. Uh, I want to thank Dennis Kitchen, um, uh, Gideon Kendall, Josh O'Neill, Shannon Wheeler, and uh, Chip Mosher at, at Comicsology Originals. Um, I'd like to thank all of you for this project, and also thank you for being on More to Come. Thank you. If I, there's one thing that I yes. feel I need to add, and that's just that when you mentioned the color, uh, I had three... Uh, very awesome color assistants, and I oh, didn't let's want hear. to mention them, please. Uh, Kevin Lacroix was my main color assistant, and he's a fantastic artist. Also, my wife Julie Pepito helped me out with color when we were getting down to the end, and another talented painter named Yudi Chen. All three of them did great work, and I thank them. Oh, great. Well, well, thank them for, for being on More to Come, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Look, it's great to talk to you guys. Congratulations on, on the project. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, you'll, we'll be talking to you again, I'm sure. Terrific. Thanks, Thanks Calvin. Thank you very much. Take care.